Welcome to Your Cathedral Podcast, a podcast from the Cathedral Church of St. Luke and St. Paul in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information on our church, please visit yourcathedral.org. As you stand there, would you please pray with me? Father, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks that you have given it to us to reveal yourself to your people. And I pray that now as we open up the pages of your word, where we see Jesus crucified, risen, ascended, and one day to return. As we see him, may our hearts burn within us and may we become like him. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Thanks for uh, venturing out on this chilly morning. If I've not got a chance to meet you yet, my name is Patrick Schlabs. I'm one of the pastors here and would hope to get to shake your hand and greet you after the service. If I have met you before or if we've interacted at any point in the last two plus weeks, the chances are high that I've asked you some form of this question. What are your goals for this year? What are your hopes for 2023? Do you have any New Year's resolutions? What books or how many books do you plan to read? Have you updated your Goodreads for the year? What habits would you like to start or stop or tweak? And I recognize for some of you that this is just flat out obnoxious. (laughs) For some, it's filled with shame of failed resolutions in the past, or it feels maybe arbitrary. Who cares? Well, there's no difference between December 31st and January 1st. It's just a new year. Same me. You know, all of that stuff is easy to get caught up into. And I just prefer to kind of be steady. And I get that. I understand that. I feel that to an extent myself. But I also feel at the same time that asking these questions of one another and of ourselves can actually be helpful. Because as arbitrary as a new year is, it is space to stop and to pause and to reflect. To discern where we are in the journey of our life to look at our lives, to scrutinize them, to examine our guides and those we're looking to forward down the road. To ask if our trajectory is in line with what our goal is. If we are becoming the kinds of people that we want to become. The quote that is written at the beginning of your bulletin is from William James and he says this, he says, we must reflect that when we reach the end of our days, Our life experience will equal what we have paid attention to, whether by choice or by default. And each of these questions gives us a chance to make our attention something that is by choice and not just by default. Said another way, our attention determines our direction. What we pay attention to is a huge indicator for where we are moving toward. So my question for us this morning is, who or what are you paying attention to? Who are you looking to? Who are people in your own life? Friends who are calling you ahead. People around you, colleagues maybe. Bosses, teachers, professors that you look at and say, that is my trajectory. That is where I want to be. I want to emulate them. I want to follow them. Or maybe beyond our inner circle, What are the authors or thinkers or leaders or celebrities or influencers or YouTubers or whatever it is that you're looking at that you would say, yes, I would like to become that. Want to move toward that. 
For what has our attention will determine our direction. And so we best be discerning. We best be intentional about who or what we are looking to this year and beyond. Just over a week ago, January 6th, we began this new season in our church calendar. And if you're new to the church calendar, I'll just remind you, if if you're not new, I'll remind you, but if you are new, I'll tell you for the first time, that epiphany is a time of seeing. You've heard the phrase, I had an epiphany. I realized something that I did not know before. And the season of epiphany is a time to recognize or realize afresh who Jesus is. The emphasis is that he's revealed through his birth as Israel's Messiah. But then very quickly, the readings of Epiphany that begin, I think we read it on January 6th, but are of the, the Magi, the three kings as we, that we sing about who came to see Jesus. They were not Israel. They were not Jewish people. And we see that this movement that God has planned from the beginning, not just to save Israel, ethnically Jewish people, but his plan is for the whole world. That is filled with Uh, promises from the Old Testament that have come to fruition in Jesus. And so each Sunday, though, in Epiphany, offers a different glimpse, a different vantage point of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. And so you'll notice in the coming weeks that we have a different image from his life, mostly from the book of Matthew this year. I'm sure we'll be spending most of our time. Last week, Pete taught about the baptism of Jesus, and we talked about John the Baptist who is sent with this message of repentance, and then he baptizes Jesus to fulfill all righteousness. Today's lesson picks up right after that with the same figure, John the Baptist, this uh, final prophet of Old Testament times. And in our passage today, Jesus, or John rather, is calling our attention to Jesus, calling us to look to Jesus, to see and behold the Lamb of God. And so I want to invite you, if you brought a Bible with you, to turn it to John chapter 1. If you don't, I assume that there are several pew Bibles there on your road that you can grab one of those. You can look it up on your phone. If you're looking at a pew Bible, it's on page 886. We'll hear John the Baptist call to behold Jesus together. So as I said, John the Baptist is this last great prophet. He's a wild man. He's in the wilderness. He's wearing camel hair. He's eating locusts and wild honey. And he's preaching this message of repentance. And when people respond to that message, he is baptizing them. We don't exactly know why. It seems like a new practice that emerged in the intertestamental period. But it seems like the the ritual uh, cleaning that that the, the Jewish people did had expanded to not just be hands or face or feet, but to be whole body immersed as a sign of transformation and new life through repentance. And in the section immediately preceding what we just heard read, the religious leaders in Israel, the Pharisees, come to John the Baptist and they say, who are you? Why are you doing this? Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? And John says, no, I'm neither of those. I'm just, he quotes Isaiah, I'm just someone who's come to prepare the way. To prepare the way of the Lord, he says. And so in verse 29, John sees Jesus coming and he says, behold, look. We don't say the word behold very much anymore. Behold that building, behold that person. We might say, look. This summer I was out west with my kids in Utah and Idaho and Montana and every new mountain they they saw, they said, look at that mountain, it's amazing. And then like, look at that one, it's even better. That's somewhat of the sense that we have here. There's an exclamation that John says, look at this 
lamb. Pay attention. Notice. This is the lamb of God. John tells us that this is in some ways his final act as a prophet. This is the purpose that he has come for in order to reveal Jesus to Israel. And so he invites us here, 2,000 years later, to behold or to look at Jesus. And I want to focus on three things that he calls our attention to in this text. The first is this name, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, John says, who takes away the sin of the world. There's been much debate about what John means or what is actually in his mind as he says the Lamb of God. It's not a phrase we hear often in the Old Testament. There are lambs, many different kinds of lambs that are a part of Israel's story, but we we don't know who this Lamb of God is or particularly what it is. Is it the Passover lamb that you'll recall from Exodus where the lamb was Killed, the blood was placed over the door so that the angel of the Lord would pass over and spare them. Is it the scapegoat? Part of the Levitical uh, practice where once a year a goat would come before the people, the priest would lay his hand, symbolizing the sins of the whole nation. And then this goat was sent into the wilderness, sent away. He bore their sins away. There was also a lamb who was sacrificed morning and evening in the temple. Isaiah 53 mentions a lamb led to slaughter, the servant of the Lord who will put away his people's sins. At the end of the story, in Revelation, we see a lamb who is enthroned, a slain lamb who is ruling and reigning. So in this debate, which one does John have in mind? Uh, St. Augustine helpfully says all of them. And I think that's probably right. We don't know exactly, but all of these images look to a, a sacrifice putting away sin. Substitution, taking away sin. And I want you to notice that it doesn't say sins. This lamb is not taking away the sins of the world. It's taking away the sin. Not just the effect, not just the things that you do or leave undone. But the effect, the very, the very thing in you that causes you to do those things. That is what this lamb will put away and will remove. And it's not just your sins either. It's the sins of the whole world. This thing that has corrupted and uh, pollutes all of creation, all of the good things in this world that are corrupted by sin, this lamb has come to remove. This idea of sin, I think for some of us may feel antiquated. We don't really use that concept. We don't talk about it even, even, even for preachers sometimes. We don't talk about it very much. But I would argue that the concept, even if not the word, is still very much present in our world today. We still have our prohibitions. We still have our boundaries. We still have things that we will be judged or will judge one another for. We just don't have any means for removal. This is what people talk about when they rail against something like cancel culture and why it's so offensive is because we feel like we might be next. We might be subjected to it. If we do something, if someone finds our old tweets, God forbid, there's no way to remove it from ourselves. No way to remove the stain. And yet in 1 John, part of our uh, liturgy that we celebrate in the 8 o'clock service and occasionally in here has this, these four comfortable words, these verses from Scripture. And 1 John says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the perfect offering, the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. There is a means of removal 
John says, of your sin, of our sins. And it is Jesus, the Lamb of God. So look to him. Behold this Lamb. The second thing that John calls our attention to is that Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Again, this calls back to Israel's story. The prophet in the Old Testament, Isaiah, speaks of this servant of the Lord on whom the Spirit of the Lord will rest. I think it's 40 or 41. See my servant, I will put my spirit on him. Jesus, when he preaches his first sermon, unrolls the scroll of Isaiah 61. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. John sees that being fulfilled here. He says that as Jesus comes up from the water, he saw the spirit descend like a dove and remain with him. There are many instances of the spirit coming upon people in the Old Testament. Coming upon Samson, the judge, whenever he needed strength to defend Israel. Coming on Saul. And he prophesies, but it doesn't remain. And that's why John points out that the spirit remains on this one. This one is different. This time is different. God has revealed to John that the one on whom the spirit remains will not just baptize with water like John does, but will baptize people with the Holy Spirit. John shows us that Jesus is the lamb who removes sin and the one who brings the gift of the spirit. This is very much in line with the New Testament understanding of what salvation means or what conversion means. Forgiveness of sins signified by washing of water and baptism and then giving of new life signified by the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Not two separate events, but one event with two movements. And so together, John sees this lamb and this spirit giver, spirit baptizer, and he says, I have seen and borne witness of this that this is the Son of God. Taken together, he testifies, he bears witness that Jesus is the Son of God, the Lamb on whom the Spirit rests. We learn uh, later in John's Gospel in chapter 20 that the reason he wrote this Gospel account to begin with is so that you would believe, so his initial readers would believe, so that we, 2,000 years on, would read and believe that this Jesus is, in fact, the ruling, reigning, chosen Son of God. And that we can have life in him, is what John says in chapter 20. So then we find that as John bears witness about this, as he has seen Jesus and then begins to tell about Jesus, that that begins to spread. It's contagious. Verse 35, we're told that the next day John is standing there with two of his disciples. And that as Jesus walked by again... He reiterates that message. Behold, he says, the Lamb of God. Look at the Lamb of God. And these two disciples hear these words, and it says that they follow Jesus. John's witness begins to spread. This is the pattern of evangelism in the New Testament. We're told that one of the two disciples is this man named Andrew, who will become a disciple of Jesus, and his brother is Simon Peter. And he goes to him and says, we found the Messiah. Come and see. And it continues to spread in the next little section, which I think may be our reading next week. He goes to Philip and Nathaniel, and they all say, come and see. We have seen Jesus. We believe he's the son of God. Come and see. This is how the church begins. This is how the church grows even to this day among us, to those who are in proximity, to our family, our friends. And I will admit there are a lot of goofy examples of evangelism. 
I was raised in kind of a small subculture that was very committed to this, and people were very well-meaning, but I think there was some damage that was done by that. I think about how often I still see people online posting that rather on a Sunday after, afternoon, you know, Sunday brunch, rather than leaving a tip, someone leaves like a $100 bill or a $1,000 bill that's actually got the gospel message on it, right? Don't do that. <laughs> Don't be a jerk. I think about these traveling groups that would put on plays that would show these images of, of the heavenly uh, throne room whenever uh, someone would be condemned to hell or, or welcomed into heaven and then they would do a gospel message. And again, don't do that. It's not really that helpful. And I don't mean to be overly cynical, but evangelism here that we see in the New Testament is very natural. They behold Jesus and then they can't help but tell other people about Jesus. It's very simple. A couple of weeks ago, um, I had my own transformative encounter with beholding. I was in a pub in Atlanta on a little work trip with our friend Zach Barton and Hunter Myers. We're sitting there at our table and all of a sudden this large man is walking towards me. And as he gets closer to my table, I realize and begin to just speak out loud the words, that's Charles Barkley. That's Charles Barkley. That's Charles Barkley, like looking right at him as he walks by. That's Charles Barkley. And these guys are like, what? They didn't see him. And they were like, that better be Charles Barkley or you just like totally messed this up. Turns out it was in fact Charles Barkley. Behold, I said, Sir Charles, the round mound of rebound. And you can be assured that as I observe that and beheld that everywhere I go and everybody that would care, I've shown them the awkward picture of me kind of leaning into Charles Barkley. Bearing witness. <laughs> if you want to see it afterwards, come, come find me. <laughs> I will happily evangelize you on my celebrity encounter. But that's the simple pattern. It's the same pattern that we see in the Gospels, in the New Testament. People get a glimpse of Jesus. They're overwhelmed by his presence, by his person, and then they just invite others into it. I want to be like that. I want to be that kind of evangelist. One thing that I think is helpful and is clear from this text is that this notion of beholding, this revelatory experience is not given to those who are especially pious or holy or even those who are especially attuned to the things of God. John the Baptist in his testimony says twice, emphasizing the fact that he did not recognize Jesus. He's related to Jesus. He's the one who we have testimony that he leapt in his mother's womb whenever Mary uh, was, was pregnant with Jesus and they met. And he says, I didn't recognize him. I would have missed it. Later, we learn how uh, very dense Peter and the rest of the apostles are. These are not especially spiritually attuned people. Rather, these encounters, uh, Bishop Leslie Newbigin notes, are not acts of realization, but they're acts of revelation. They are given to them by God. They are not something that they have earned or something they've deserved. They're given as a gift to see Jesus. And we too, friends, are continually invited to receive that gift, to accept that gift, to see Jesus. The invitation that Jesus gives to the two disciples who come after him is come and you will see. Come and you will see. That's our invitation this morning. 
Those of you who don't feel like you can be forgiven for the thing that you've done again and again and again, and that you come to another year unable to break that, unable to stop that, to stop doing that thing or drinking too much or cheating on this or taking advantage of that. You don't feel like one more time can be forgiven. The invitation is come and see the lamb who removes that sin. Those of you here this morning who don't know or believe that you are a beloved child of God, who don't feel God's presence with you or don't experience his nearness, the invitation is come and see. Come and see the one who, Scripture tells us, gives us the spirit without measure. The one who invites you and envelops you into the very life of God. The one who bears witness, John tells us, to your spirit that you are in fact a child of God. You who have been disappointed or wounded or abused by a misuse of authority, you are invited to come and see the Son of God who rules not as a conquering king, not with an iron fist, but he rules as a slain lamb. We're told that he's gentle and lowly and he invites you to take upon yourself the easy yoke of his rule. You and me can come and see that Jesus. That's our invitation. And so I'm curious, as you think about this new year, as you reflect maybe on your life, and, I, and if you don't, if, the, if you're, I just encourage you to do it. Take a few moments, sit in a quiet room, go on a drive, go on a walk, go on a hike, go away for a couple days and just reflect on your life. And I would ask you to ask yourself, who am I looking to? And in particular, how is Jesus inviting me to look to him this year in a new way? If you are not a Christian and you're here, we're really glad you're here. This is a place to be and I think a place that you can be loved as you ask big questions and as you explore what Christianity might offer you. But you might also just feel blind maybe. You're like, I, I, I may want to see Jesus or I want to believe that this person is actually real, is actually who he says he is, but you might feel blind. The good news for you this morning is that Jesus is the one who heals blind people. The physically blind in scripture, we see it again and again and again, but also he came to heal those who are spiritually blind. If you just ask and say, heal my blindness, let me see you, he'll do it. For some of us, I, I assume that the thing that's keeping us from a new vision of Jesus, a renewed vision of Jesus is probably just distraction. There are so many things that are vying for our time. We hit the ground running. We already feel behind. We've got to achieve this. We've got to accomplish that. We have practices to go to, homework to do. We're busy, busy, busy people. Not to mention the glowing rectangle, as Andy Crouch talks about, that is always, always, always vying for our attention. The good news is that that is not a new problem either. People have always been distracted. Look at some of the heroes of your faith and hear them talk about prayer, and they talk about how bad they were at it. St. Anthony had to go out to the desert to like fight the devil, basically, because he could not concentrate. He could not become the kind of person he wanted to become. He needed to go away to have a vision of Jesus. And so the church has given us these disciplines, these practices. And in fact, in a few weeks, we'll enter into this season of Lent, where we will be invited to put off things and to put on things, to simplify, to fix our eyes on Jesus. I'd love to talk to you about that if you have questions or would like to explore what it looks like to put away distraction. I'm no expert, but I'm a fellow stumbler. 
I think for other of us, though, probably what keeps us away from seeing a renewed vision of Jesus is that our other visions of Jesus have been distorted. We've not been able to discern the difference between who Jesus actually is versus who he's been portrayed to us as by parents or by leaders or by friends or by the church itself, the kind of capital C church. And you look at it and you say, you know what, you may be like Gandhi and say, I like your your Christ, but not your Christians. The disconnect between who Jesus is and who he seems to be. But the good news on that front is that we do have his word, his eternal word to see who Jesus actually is. And I would invite you to just immerse yourself in the gospels. Some guys in our men's ministry do this thing called the gospel challenge where they just meet every week and they read a chapter of the, of the gospels um, every day and they meet to pray. Some of our men would love to tell you about it. I know a lot of our guys have gone through it. Jay Krause could tell you about what this looks like. He could give you a book, a companion in the way. Another way that I think you can remove that distorted image of Jesus is to be present with people of faith, be present with Christians. Come to a community group. So many times my distorted images of Jesus have been healed in the midst of community. The community of faith is the body of Christ, right? And that's weird to say or weird to think about that people, that broken, flawed people could represent Jesus to you, but it's true. They can I've seen it, I've experienced it. If you can come for people to actually be yourself and to bring those failures and bring that unbelief and be loved and cared for in the midst of it, that's transformative. That's a renewed image of who Jesus is. And I would assume that for all of us, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, that all of us could use a reminder, just a refresher of who Jesus is to behold him in a new way. And I find it oddly comforting that even John the Baptist needed a reminder. Having seen everything that he saw, having testified that Jesus is the one on whom the spirit came and says, I know this is the son of God. Both, John's, uh, both Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel recount that he was in prison and he sent his disciples and said to Jesus, are you the one or should we expect another? Even he forgot. After beholding the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he forgot and needed a reminder that yes, in fact, Jesus is the son of God, the savior of the world, the only one with the words of life. And so my prayer for us is that wherever you're at, whatever you're looking at or toward this year, that each of us would have a renewed and refreshed image of Jesus, that we would behold him anew this year. We would move towards that, move towards him and bear witness. Let's pray. I would invite you just here in the quietness of your heart to just open up your heart to the Lord. If you feel blind, if you feel distracted, if you feel a distorted image of Jesus, or if you just need a refresher of his beauty, of his kindness, just ask for that in the quietness of your heart. Jesus, you are the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, the one who gifts us with your spirit, the one who rules and reigns as the son of God. Give us a new glimpse of you, that we may behold you 
that we may be those who bear witness of you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.